0: Hey guys and welcome back to the channel and I'm extremely excited to be joined by Gil Gross and there seems to be a little bit of a a habit and I think a pattern that's going on after Grand Slams we go over and review the tournament and we should be covering the ATP and WTA side as well. Gil first of all how are you doing and uh, how was your time at the US Open?
1: It was really good thank you Um, great to be on again and uh, always a pleasure to to trek to New York whenever I can second year that I got to cover the uh, the tournament for U.S. Open Radio.
0: Yeah, um, I obviously saw as well, you know, the interviews and a little bit of play-by-play analysis, etc. So, if you haven't heard Gil, then check out tennis channel. I'm sure uh, you will see him already. And of course, I know everyone's already subscribed to your channel as well. I was actually listening to your to your uh, Monday match analysis for the U.S. Open actually recently, and I was, I was listening to it thinking, yeah. I agree with this. I agree with this and it's always <laughs> insightful as always. So yeah, I appreciate the work that you're doing as well. I guess we can start off with Carlos Alcraz I know you're you've always been a massive proponent for him and and a kind of I wouldn't say a fan because I know you don't necessarily have a specific person that you root for, but you've been a big believer in his abilities and talent and you know, personally I was someone who was saying, you know, I don't necessarily particularly see him winning a slam this year, but if he was to win one, it would be at the end of the year because it's had a bit of time. But if I'm being honest, most of my eggs were in the basket of next year. Next year is when it's going to happen uh, because give him some time to adapt. So I'm not going to sit here and say that Oh, I was, I was saying as the US Open. I said, I did say might be the US Open. I kind of discarded him from the rest. But in the end, obviously he just you know, said to everyone, look, I'm ready now. Uh, and like a very, very keen um, teenager, he just had too much energy. In the end, almost for anyone, fantastic fitness and ability, and we know how how much skill he's got. But I wanted to ask you first, actually, before we kind of get into nitty gritty. I was on something the other day, and I said I don't feel like I've ever seen on the men's side a more well-rounded 19-year-old. Because if we talk about like Rafa, for example, when he won his slam at 19, of course, an incredible player, but it was a fantastic forehand, amazing movement, great defense, you know, return was phenomenal. But obviously there are some bits to work on the serve. There were some bits to work on the backhand and the volley. And obviously he has improved and become this GOAT, for example, one of the GOATs. Um, And same one the Djokovic, same one with the Federal, when they won their first slams. But for Alcaraz, I feel like the bones that he has, that like the skeleton was already there. And then you look at him after winning his first slam, I just feel like, yes, there's bits to improve. But in terms of his roundness... It's yeah, pretty incredible to see. I don't know if you think the same as well.
1: I I, I do. Um, young Federer probably felt that way, but it took him a while. Is the thing mm. like Federer wasn't an amazing nineteen-year-old? So uh, I would say, Alcaraz, at at his age, if you take that into account, it is probably one of the most well-rounded packages, if not the most well-rounded package we've ever seen. And you know, I do believe the game gets better, like the game moves forward. So, if Carlos Alcaraz is the next generational all-time player, which I believe he is, or and and will be, then you know he should up the ante. Like the game will continue to progress, and what Alcaraz's athleticism and his uh and his well-roundedness from a technical standpoint in addition to uh, I think what he's kind of taken in terms of the mental side or the attitude, the enjoyment of the game, I see so many aspects from all the big three, you, you know, you look at the Nadal kind of trying and, and putting a hundred percent into every point and playing with a very uh, determined level of intensity. Uh, but also I think he's taken from Federer in the enjoyment of the game and really treating it like a game and trying to have fun and play with it and try different things. Uh, and, and the athletic stuff is so special. I mean, I've never seen a faster player. Um, yeah, he checks every single box.
0: Yeah, agreed. And obviously, the I guess to finish that off is the flexibility and defense that someone like a Djokovic has, right? I mean, the, the way that he's got that Flexibility and almost elastic, uh, you know, qualities which obviously Djokovic is, uh, you know, has definitely got down to a T. And a lot of that is down to his work in the gym. And I was listening to your to your video, and you were talking about the fact that all the work that he's done in the off season, obviously, has come to fruition now. Um, And and almost, you know, did he potentially, you know, was he able to look into the future and and visualize? You know, I'm going to have to play 23 hours on court, uh, which is the longest time ever uh, to win a slam, but I guess that also feeds into the fact of him being so well-rounded because a lot of people will see our crowds and think he's exciting, he's offensive. The fact that he had to play so long means that he had to defend for large periods of matches as well, right? Because he was up against it and he was up against some players playing uh, some inspired tennis. And the fact that he managed to come through those just shows the different types of, I guess, styles that he had to tap into at times and, and also different tactics, I guess, that... He had to utilize. So that was really impressive to see. But I mean, the final against Rude are the 14 aces, and obviously the serving was looking pretty good in the final, something to still improve, but looks like it's getting there as well. Uh, and then I feel like the mental side is the biggest thing. And I know his coach Ferrero came out after him and said, you know, he was kind of not enjoying it in Miami and Cincinnati. Sorry, in Cincinnati and Canada, uh, because he was too worried about results. And uh, you know, yeah. he basically said to him after Come forward at every point, every opportunity you want to come forward, come forward. And that's pretty much what ended up happening because against Rude, there are a lot of instances where he went back and crossed into 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 Rude, and you're thinking, Well, you don't really want to be coming to the net then because you know it's the it's the longest distance, right? You know, everyone talks about Pythagoras' theorem and obviously you don't want to go in that because it's the longest distance to cover, but he's so quick, he transitions so well. That he was doing that the majority of the time and winning the points behind it, which was really impressive. So that's like incredible to see this different style as well. And I wonder whether that might translate into, you know, as he continues to succeed, which I think we both think he will, as long as he stays fit, then, you know, is that going to be a new type of style for this generation? We've had the kind of baseliners, right? We've had the Djokovic and Nadal who are incredible from the baseline. Uh, We've had a bit of the kind of slick elegance of like Federer slightly before, but kind of overlapping and murray of course is part of that to a degree now we're going to have this alcaraz different kind of exciting style of coming forward a lot volleying transitioning beautifully as well um what was your read in terms of his overall i guess packing and improvements for this us open were you quite impressed with how he's adjusted um physically and mentally
1: yeah the break point conversions really concerned me coming in and it's not something that I normally pay all that much attention to. I figure, look, if breakpoint, you know, percentage that that evens out. And as long as you're creating opportunities for yourself, it's, it's not a big deal. If you have a couple of unlucky matches where you have bad conversion rates, but uh, I felt like it was actually a, a deeper issue and that he was tightening up and making bad decisions in big points, pressure situations. And that is why I didn't think he could win the U S open. Now he, he relaxed, uh, Ferrero made sure that he relaxed and Alcaraz was, uh, you know, actively trying to figure out a way to feel different on the court. He said after Canada that the pressure got to me and that he needs to think about what he can do to fix it. Uh, so the mental game is now being attacked like a forehand or a backhand, like there are techniques to use, there are adjustments to make, and you know, that's kind of the advancement of the game where the mental game is starting to become a lot better understood. Uh, so that's kind of definitely one aspect that impressed me is that he kind of changed his mindset and he relaxed on the court. He was able to make that, that change, um, Other than that, I mean, even though I knew he was a beast physically, I didn't know that he could pull that off, (laughs) you know, uh, that, that was really something else. I, I do think that come the rude final, he had heavy legs, uh, but then he had the skill to overcome it because he's, he, he, there's enough of a gap. In in talent between him and rude that he was able to do some things tactically make some adjustments to even with heavy legs still win the match, which is impressive in its own right. But, you know, the way the the energy that he had for that Tiafo semifinal was uh, certainly eye popping uh, after the center match where he had to come through under pressure, you know, or or he would have lost. Now, look, if he lost the center match and of course he you know he had to save match point in order to win it if he lost the match point you know what i thought coming in would have actually played out to a t because he should have gone up two sets to love he had a, a forehand to go up two sets to love that he missed that he should not have missed and if sinner ended up winning the match also the break point conversions were really poor um until really the fourth set um it would have been like, see, that's what happened. Uh, but he kind of, he got through that war. He got through that crazy match and it was kind of off to the races and, and, you know, things played out for him. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Novak Djokovic not being there. Rafael Nadal not being healthy. Daniil Medvedev not being at his best. So Alcaraz was the best player. And even if, even if he wasn't necessarily ready to win the U S open in the in 2022 if things didn't go his way he certainly was ready to win it if things did go his way and they did
0: yeah agreed that cinema match was crazy wasn't it i mean i agree with you he should have been two sets to love up and it was one of those ones where he was a breakup in both sets and then he just kind of like gave it away straight away and sinner came back into it sinner wasn't playing badly he was playing well of course and had the confidence yeah. of beating him twice this year already uh, and so the fact that I think Alcaraz mentally, more than anything, I was more impressed mentally than anything actually, the fact that he managed to save the match point, come back and win it uh, because it w- must have been playing on his mind, the fact that of, co- of course they're good friends but they you know he's loving love two against him this year and everyone was thinking, hmm, probably not going to win. I think he was the underdog going into that because people were thinking, well, he's lost him on the clay, he's lost him on the grass, why do we think he's going to beat him on the court when Sinner is just as good on the hard courts as well nowadays? So, and the way that he's been serving as well. So that was extremely impressive. And I think the way that he managed to navigate his way out of the backhand to backhand dynamic was very interesting as well. Um, Any kind of backhand that didn't have a lot of width on it, he just went, I'm going to try my best movement-wise. We know how good he is with his movement to make that into a forehand or he'd go line first and he'd go hard line and basically try and get out of that rhythm that Sinner wanted him to be in, which was, uh, you know, almost poisonous really to the Alcraz game which is get involved with Sinner in the back end, to back end which he didn't want to be involved in so that was impressive because that's something that obviously suffered with a lot in Wimbledon and Umarga as well but um do you, what do you think, was, was that match of the year a lot of people after like match of the year, match of the year do you think so far that's match of the year because I did watch it but I was very much in, in it because I was doing play by play and I, I was thinking you know that was an incredible match after but I haven't really had time to think, "Mm, is that really much of the year? Because I saw all over social media and was like, our best match of the year. And I don't know. What do you think?
1: I think it was. Um, I can't think of uh, a match that beats it. I mean, I think in in past years, we've often had a major final. That's been, you know, the obvious choice. Um, And and that has an advantage over a quarterfinal. Um, I don't think we've had that this year. Um, but you know, May other April than final, Nadal, I, I was going to say other than Nadal Medvedev, um, and that, that might've been match of the year. It might be hard to pick Sinner Alcaraz over Nadal Medvedev. But I mean, I, I also would understand, uh, you know, I think in terms of sustained quality, I think that was probably better. The thing about that Sinner Alcaraz match is, There was never any separation between the two at really any point. Maybe the fifth set, there was some separation, but it was basically neck and neck. The entire way for like four and a half hours and the quality was good and the match felt big and important, you know, the weird part about it, of course, was that it was at 1 a.m
0: yeah i don't, I don't know yeah, how the, you feel about that one
1: don't worry I, I i felt
0: i've literally was up all night in the uk so I finished at around 8 a.m my time oh my and god i was like oh i've got work <laughs> so i was like absolutely zero sleep so i was a zombie the rest of the day um so yeah i wasn't wasn't too pleased with that uh, some of the late <laughs> finishes but but i know that well some people love them. I was talking to Amy, and she was saying that she doesn't... She went to a couple of the U.S. Open as on. Well. I know you met her there as well. She was telling me that she doesn't like it. She doesn't like the, the late night matches. But uh, I know a lot of people say to me, "Look, they've been there the whole time, and it's it's what makes it different um, as well." But what's your what's your view on it? I mean, you're younger, I guess. There's a balance.
1: Like... They need to they need to strike a balance. <laughs> uh, I think right. Like I I do think the U.S. Open should go deep into the night, especially on the East Coast, because you know hmm. you also got to remember in the U.S. It's not as late for the West Coast, and yeah. that matters for for ESPN, who's the primary uh, rights holder and the primary money deliverer to the U.S. Open. Um, and, and, you know, it, it shouldn't be like Wimbledon. Like, you, New York is the city that doesn't sleep, and they should play late. Should they play until 2 a.m.? No, too late. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh <laughs> it's almost eight, like it's, so when the there's
0: 11pm uh, curfew right which is like oh man so I, when I went I went last year and it was like Kyrgios Umber that was an incredible match and then obviously they played the fifth set the next day because of the curfew so I was like oh man so I had to go home yeah, so I was like oh wish it, wish it went on further uh, but obviously it's because of the residents whatever but in New York it's like it just there's like no end to it it's like, it's like it doesn't <laughs> matter you just play until 6am it's fine it's like it's crazy but
1: I mean, at I, the end got, of the day though, like I, I want Wimbledon to be Wimbledon. I want the U S open to be the, yeah. the U S open, you know, I don't want them to be the same. So the worst thing, yeah. like the worst argument people can possibly make is like, Oh, you'd never see this at Wimbledon. It's like, good, <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah. That's the point.
0: That's true. That's true. No, I, I, I think that's a really good point. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, on, on Alcaraz, then I guess just to finish up on him, I mean, it's an incredible records you know one number one uh youngest one number one ever uh I know you know the points tally some people are saying you know not not the highest but it doesn't matter whether ones one and one and the fact that he's won now obviously his first grand slam but at the US open where it, in, this is more of an interesting fact that the big three all won their first slam at different slams so Novak was Australia you know raffles Roland Garros Roger was Wimbledon Al is you know now one at the US Open, which is a bit different. But I don't know how much of a great start that is because so's team and Chilich and a lot of other players. But yeah, anyways. Uh, and I think for him going forward now, I mean, is there expectations on him to kick on, do you think? I and mean, what, what's your thoughts on how does he kick on and does he take this in his stride? And then like he's gonna be at the ATP Tour Finals, which hopefully I'm going to as well. So I'm hoping to watch him. But you know, ATP Tour Finals and then he'll go into next year. I mean. Is he like okay? Is he now level with like an Adal Djokovic as like a favorite going to the Australian Open potentially? How I guess Medvedev was for the US Open
1: is that kind of what we're looking at now? That is probably what we're looking at. But the huge question is, what does this offseason look like? Because he made a massive leap physically between uh 21 and 22, did you know tons of physical work, uh, you know, which which I I discussed and. Everyone did because they they saw it. It was very obvious uh, uh, visibly. And, uh, you know, that changed his whole, you know, level and abilities as a player. You know, when you become a man uh, and and you become incredibly strong, it it changes what you can do on the on the court. So, you know, that propelled Alcaraz to the level that we've seen in 2022. What does this offseason look like is the question, because. You know, the, they have said that they're happy with where he's at athletically. They don't want to put any more muscle on him. You don't want to get too heavy. You know, there's there's a balance there as well. Uh, so it's not going to be – Alcaraz is not going to come in 2023. It's like, wow, he he oh. looks like uh, Dwayne <laughs> the Rock Johnson now, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, it's exactly. not going to be like that. Uh, but it's like, are we going to see uh, – a more polished first serve. Um, are we going to see better decision-making and, and more patient shot selection or, or do they not want that? Uh, do they want to kind of let him kind of take really big risks all the time? Um, I don't know. See, like I don't have the answer for you. So that's the question. Like where are the improvements this off season? Because right now, as a player in 2022, he is very—you know—he's a tier one guy, but he's not a world's beater. You know, he's—he's he's not necessarily better than Djokovic and Nadal. Medvedev at his best on hard. Titi Pass at his best on clay. He's not necessarily better than, the, than those guys. He's just on the same level. If he wants to actually rise above. Which I think he can do. He's got to do something in the off season to be a better version of himself in 2023 than he was in 2022.
0: I have the answers, Gil. I have the answers. So, if... what's uh, he going to do?
1: How does <laughs> team is listening? This is what he's supposed to
0: do. Well, I've got, I've got some ideas. So the first thing is, and I'm not sure. Technique wise, it's always tricky to tinker with techniques. I wouldn't tinker with his serve technique, but they can definitely get that down. It can be in yeah, terms of. The- they yeah. can definitely, you know, get the get it more efficient. Uh, flat get make serve sure that and his... slice serve, right? Exactly, yeah. The, the, flat the, the serve, kick slice is serve. good.
1: The yeah. kick is good. It's just the yeah. other ones.
0: Yeah, because the kicks are. I mean, he was hitting kick serves for first serves against Rude, and I was like, "What's he doing?" <laughs> he's adjusting his serve position, and I was like, "This isn't a clay court, Carlos." But you know, he gets away with it at times. Ninety miles per hour into the backhand from the ad side, but I was like, you know, fine if it works. Um, but it's just bizarre to me. But that's also because, yeah, like you know, he's not super confident with his first serve, his flat serve um, on maybe the ad, the ad side as well. So something to work on. is definitely the first of efficiency, making yep. sure he can get freer points on there. And the backhand slice as well, I think is something that you can work on. I don't necessarily see it as a a shot at the moment that is, I think it's serviceable, but it's not something that is a an attacking... Like, for example, it's not a Berrettini slice. It's not a Federer slice. And I feel like if he was to add that to his game, Like it will just take it to the next level because his backhand and his backhand defense is improving. I think we've seen that, and there were clearly some like holes there potentially against elite backhands. But if he can perfect that, then that will not paper over the cracks, but it will add a different dynamic, and it will help in those exchanges because it'll slow down the pace. It'll mean that people with elite backhands will not be able to just get into a rhythm in those uh, in those in those exchanges, I guess as well. So that's kind of my thoughts of course there's other things as well but those are kind of my two cents on what i think could definitely help because from watching him of course like as we are saying he's so well around it's it's difficult to say there's like five different things but those are things i feel like are not glaring but things that can definitely be improved and i feel like they're not too difficult to improve in the offseason That that we can see like differences going into 2023 but yeah he won't listen to me he'll work on his like, you know, forehand and, and his volleys. <laughs> <laughs> <has Well>, <laughs> I,
1: I think the serve um, is a no brainer and mm. uh, it, it looks like it has the potential to be a really, yeah. really good serve. I mean, it, you know, he's got such strong legs, you know, a pretty live arm. The speed is there just needs to uh, get more consistent at being precise and accurate with it. Um yeah. The, the slice i think if they got him to use it in an offensive yeah. way i actually think he could he just mm-hmm. doesn't uh so yeah. so that might be about about actually encouraging him to to use it in that way um but but my i think for him to take the next step he does need to miss less yeah um and, and there are you know different ways that they can work on that it mostly comes down to decisions but to me he he still especially in certain situations like you know on returns of serve second serve returns uh he does miss too much still and yeah and that yeah. could hold him back
0: yeah agreed i was gonna say because his his returning is something that's seems very natural but i think i i spoke to you about this maybe after the after wimbledon i think or the french and i was we were saying that obviously you know he for someone who's so naturally gifted at returning he probably misses more than he should because he tries to be yeah. so offensive in certain situations and sometimes it's like you don't need to hit a return winner. You can hit a return that gets you on the front foot, uh, but means that you have to hit an extra shot or two. Um, and and I feel like sometimes maybe the patient, patience wasn't quite there, um, but it, he'll get there for sure with maturity, as you were saying. And I mean, it's one of the US Open. So, you know, I'm sure he's not worrying about that at the moment, but in the off season, I'm sure it's something that he'll work on with his team. Um Okay, enough of Carlos Alcaraz because everyone's talking about him. Casper uh, Ruud, I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's been really impressive. We've seen, I guess, as a lot of, from a lot of people. Anyway, initially as like a, as Kiros would say, which obviously I'm not saying this is a dirt rat, you know, clay court specialist. Uh, he's now gone from that to someone who has got a much more well-rounded game, and you know, the backhand as well. I mean, if we compare the backhand in the Roland Garros final to the backhand. At the US Open final, I mean, we're talking about like worlds apart now. I'm not saying that he's got a Djokovic level backhand, but we're talking about you know a backhand which he was moonballing into the, the cross court to a backhand which second serve returns he was hitting for winners at times. Uh, and he was actually hitting more winners than Alcaraz at one point in the match, so that's a massive improvement. His serve one plus play, we know how effective that has been in the past, um, as well, and you know, we know how good his forehand can be in those situations and his willingness to come to the net I was quite impressed with as well the fact that he was willing to come to the net uh, wasn't always successful but it's something that he's clearly trying to persist with and I think he knows that okay I, I do have weapons but I don't hit so massive that I just want to grind from the back of the court all the time uh, and he doesn't miss much either Casper, for the most part so I was quite impressed with his run and especially the way he dealt with Berrettini well that was a really impressive performance in the first two sets especially um, and he put up a good fight against Alcaraz, but just not to be two finals, two losses, similar to Jabbar on the women's side, which will touch one in a second. But uh, what were your thoughts on Roode's uh, US Open campaign?
1: Huge. I mean, yeah, the, the backhand, I'm, I'm amazed I, by by how different it is. Um, you highlighted that nicely. And uh, it's, it's huge on the return of serve, especially uh, because that's the shot where obviously opponents can easily get it to the backhand. Uh, whereas in every other aspect of the game, you know, it's always been kind of difficult to make Casper root hit backhands, Uh, but you know, it had to be better because of the return of serve and, uh, players were, were really taken, taking advantage of it in, in that respect. And now, you know, he can go up against a kick serve like Matteo Berrettini's and Berrettini will, you know, kick it to the backhand and rude can take it early and hit it hard and fast and actually get it to the Berrettini backhand and set himself up for success on second serve return points. So massive improvements there. And, uh, I, I did not think coming into the season that Casper rude would be in two major finals. You have to tip your cap. He's, uh, so much more confident in himself mentally. Um, and he's becoming quite the, uh, well-rounded player himself. um, and he's taken advantage of, of pretty good draws at, at both of these majors. There's no doubt about that. But he's taken a, a huge leap here.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And it's it's interesting to see where he kicks on from here after making two slam finals as well. Because at number two in the world, I think, you know, you're thinking, wow, okay, he goes into Australian Open and he gets a favorable draw again because his rankings improved even more. You don't know how far he can go. But it's interesting to see maybe how uh, – it was great to see him against Berrettini, but if he comes up against a Sispas or Zverev or Nadal Djokovic at the Australian Open, yeah. for example, how does he look? Does he look like the Rude that we saw at the French Open final? Or does he look like the Rude that beat Berrettini? Or even in the final against Alcaraz, where actually uh, one thing that I was really impressed with, not just from him, but I guess he was his second grandson of one, but Alcaraz as well, is the lack of nerves really shown in the final. Where uh, I know you highlighted it really nicely on your video that you said, for his relevant team, and I guess people were giving them a hard time saying, well, you know, they were a bag of nerves really in that final. Whereas Alcaraz and Rude from point one, it was like, and, and honestly, I haven't really seen someone like out Al- I mean, again, this is a first for me. Alcaraz in a grandstand final, his first ever grandstand final just didn't look nervous at all. And I was like, yeah. what? This isn't supposed to happen. It's, you're supposed to be nervous for at least like the first three games, maybe uh, even a set. Some people would take some two sets in a men's final, but he was just like, no, I'm fine. You know, saving break points, yeah. left, right, and center, and Ruud was doing the same as well, which was really great. And uh, of course, you made the point that you know with Team and Zverev, they kind of been there or thereabouts, pushing, Um, and so the pressure was there because people expected them to have won a Grand Slam or two by that point, or at least you know been in more finals, and people expect them to win. Whereas Valkraz and Ruud they've had three months where they played really, really good tennis, and then obviously at the U.S. Open expectations were higher as they progressed, but. Uh, so I guess less kind of mental, uh, m- mental clouding, I guess uh, from there in their play. But that was that was great to see because I think that made a really good final in the end as well, and one that actually I enjoyed. And I wasn't saying, oh man, nerves, nerves from the start. You know, a forehand yeah. being shanked, and you know someone's double faulting twice in a row, and that wasn't really happening, which is great. Um, I thought as well. But w- were you in the same opinion? I know, I know you mentioned it briefly as well in your video yeah. as well.
1: No, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I don't think nerves played a factor in the final. I I didn't think they would. Um, but uh, you know, it speaks volumes. It does. You know, as much as, as much as I think sometimes it's an advantage that people don't realize to be a naive teenager in a major final. Uh, I I think throughout history there are plenty of examples of of you know teenagers actually doing really well in, in this kind of match, right? Sampras at the U S open in 1990, uh, Becker, uh, when, when he was young, I think did, did really well. Um, w- we saw Radu Kanu, you know, last year, just never feel any nerves or pressure, uh, on, on the women's side As a more recent example. Um, Andrescu, we, you know, similar, Sometimes I think, you know, you're just so young. There's you're fearless. You don't have much baggage and that kind of thing doesn't happen. Uh, Rude, I'm, I'm definitely, I think a little bit more impressed with, honestly, because he has had issues with his nerves um, in the past. Like he, he hadn't been past the third round at a major Until Roland Garros and in some of those matches, I really do feel like it was uh, it was very nervous on his part, especially last year against davidovich Fakina in the third round in Paris, where um, while Fakina played well, Rude won way more points than Fakina in that match and just couldn't win the big ones uh, to, to ultimately win the match. So I just think Rude's come a long way. In that respect, and he could have been nervous in this final and wasn't, so it, it was it was a good thing to see.
0: Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And then I guess to to wrap up on the uh, on the men's side as well. I mean, what are the ask you a, <laughs> a couple of questions on uh, the rest of the field? So, um, what was the biggest kind of surprise for you? Was was it the Medvedev Kyrgios match? I mean, I for one and before the tournament was like. So I, I kept on backing Kyros to beat Medvedev, and it was happening recently, right? I in, and I was like, okay, great. And then when I got to US Open, I got a bit scared, and I picked Medvedev in my bracket. <laughs> and I did the preview video, and I and I'd seen how they were playing, and I said, no, I'm gonna. I reversed my decision. I was like, curious is gonna win. Um, and I, was, I got a lot of hate in the comments for it as well. And <laughs> some people are like, what are you talking about? Like, just because you said they look better, but you know, Medvedev hasn't dropped a set, and curious has dropped a set. And I said, but you've got to look at the quality of your opponent, how yeah. they played, and. I was like, you know, that makes a difference. And then obviously he went out to win. So I was like, ha <laughs> back to the comment section I go. But um he, he played really well of course Curious until hatchinov But
1: did you I mean, watch the surprised? JJ Wolf? Did you yeah. watch uh Kyrgios- Yeah, it was it was yeah. it was unbelievable. Um yeah. I, I was at that match and I I knew I knew that Medvedev had his hands full after watching yeah. that. Um and, and no, I wasn't surprised. I picked it before the tournament. I picked curios to beat Medvedev, and then I I picked him to lose to Krenia uh, Busta in the next okay. round. So I almost got. <laughs> almost, I almost, almost got yeah, it. five sets at Hachnoff, K- K- Busta, wasn't it? Yes. Um, um, hatchnov
0: I think you know, fast Brits, Draper. You ain't gotten injured. I know. Telling you, telling I don't you. think he
1: would have won. I think Draper
0: had it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Injuries, uh, yeah, can be a killer, but. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I feel like Medvedev's uh just his. It doesn't seem like a good matchup, the match matchup, does it? Uh, because no. he he adjusted his return position, and then Kyrous was like, "Well, I'm just gonna serve down the T. Good luck." <laughs> and it was like <laughs> it just same thing happened, and it was just, and then he, in the final set, he got fed up, and so he just went back, and he said, "I'm gonna serve volley." And you could just see the look on Medvedev's face was just like flipping. Heck, like why does this keep on happening to me? He's like this guy, and, the, and when they sh- shaking hands, and after, and he said, "Of course, he played." at our level and you're like okay you know fine but i just think it's not a good matchup for him and he's going to be praying that he doesn't get curious, and they'll show an open especially with the aussie crowd behind him as well so um but we we disappointed with the way that curios fell to hatch another as well a bit of a flat performance in the end wasn't it
1: yeah it's a bit of a blind spot for me because being at being at the tournament i i wasn't you know i was working another match during uh curios um medvedev and then uh Kuros Hatchinov was my one night off which so I was well, I had an eye on it but you know I was like I was watching in the pub so you know I I, <laughs> I don't have too much to so you don't remember uh, much of it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, I mean ultimately I'm I'm a little surprised. yes I was surprised I was surprised that Kuros lost to Hatchinov because I, I know he looked focused um, he looked motivated, Curios did, and I know how hard he's worked on the fitness recently. And I, I don't think that was a, as big a factor. So, um, it was surprising to see him, you know, run into real issues with uh Hatchinoff's tennis, <clears throat> um, more than anything else.
0: Yeah. Agreed.
1: Do you think that's a fair assessment because I, I thought I thought Nick looked locked in mentally and physically, uh, except the calf thing in the first set, but that yeah. seemed to go away. And after that went away, it, he still had issues. I mean, Hatchinoff was playing very, I mean look, rock solid, rock yeah. solid tennis, b- relatively big serving the backhand to backhand is actually where Kyrgios usually gets most of his joy yeah, against exactly, a righty. Yeah. And he wasn't getting that against Hatchinov, you know, that, that I certainly picked up on. Um, but I just thought Kyrgios variety, you know, bringing Hatchinov forward um, coming forward, you know, to kind of take away hatchnov's defensive abilities. Uh, I thought those things would be enough to push Kyrgios through.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Um, I think, I think one of the things that might have tipped it, and I think Kyrgios mentioned it after, was the fact that Novel was just serving so well at the U.S. Open uh, this year. And I always talk about, like, I was on my channel about the the top five elite servers. I don't know if you agree with this, but uh, I, I say Apelka, Isner, Hercatch, Kyrgios, and Berrettini. Those are my five. Those are my okay. top five elite like servers. Uh, and I'm like, you know, those are the guys that if I if I had to like put money on who's going to hit an ace, going to be those guys. Uh, and I, I think other people can. Be at that level, but not consistently. Whereas those guys, I think, are pretty consistently at that level. Um, whereas Hatchinov, I think, what he did is he kind of broached that level, uh, in this tournament. That is, now he's not always at that level, but he was because, uh, what was it? I think I was looking at the stats after, and he like almost hit the same amount of aces as Kyrgios. Uh, it was like 30 aces, uh, compared to 33, but he'd hit like five less double faults. And there's a lot of unreturnables in there as well. And Kyrios said after, like, he just served incredibly well. And I think. Kiros' return is obviously something that he's still working on, and it is improving. But Hadzhiev doesn't serve massive either for someone his height. But he was hitting his spots. I think it was the biggest uh, was the biggest thing, and Kiros wasn't really reading it as well. But at the end of the day, it was a very very close match. So you know it could have gone either way. Uh, I think he obviously played some of the bigger points better, and Kiros I think wasn't at his best, and that's why I think he was so disappointed with the racket smash. And not obviously saying that I was right, but you could understand why he'd done that because he knew. What a big opportunity it was because he was playing Rude in the next round. He would have been the favorite. Whether he would have won, I don't know because Rude was playing some really good tennis. And then Alcaraz in the final, which again, a lot of people might have said Alcaraz would have won. But if Kiros serves how we know he can serve and I guess played as well as he did against, say, a J- like JJ Wolf or even throughout the whole Wimbledon run uh, and how well he's been playing recently, you just can't count him out. So I think he thought, you know, a massive missed opportunity. And good to see him at least have the mentality that he wants to win slams rather than just. I'm happy to just you know just compete enjoy it hit a few tweeners and you know I'll be happy the crowds on my side most of the most of the time he's completely shifted which is great.
1: Yeah, I mean how about that? He's like, "Yeah, I care and I will say that I care and I'm not afraid of that." Like that's completely new. It is crazy because the the Wimbledon final did not like had a clear effect on him as, yeah. as much as we thought that he was a changed, you know, a changed player, a changed competitor, and I'm careful not to say a changed man. Like I don't, I don't know that he's a changed man. I know that he's a changed tennis player. You know, yeah. like I'm not hanging out with him off the court. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if he's. He wasn't in the man. pub, was he? No, he wasn't in the pub. Surprisingly, uh, <laughs> yeah, surprising. or or not surprisingly, now with this changed. uh, <laughs> New
0: version yeah, he keeps, he, he keeps on saying how he keeps on going to bed early. So I think that's just assuming that he doesn't get to the pub anymore. So. Yeah,
1: he's he's going to bed early and he's training his. Uh, he's doing a lot of fitness. I mean, that's all you need to know. Like I, I was always of the I was always of the belief that it wasn't about Curios's like mental s- stuff. Like I that certainly was part of the problem is that sometimes he wouldn't give full effort. Yeah. The big the biggest hurdle for him was that he wasn't in shape. Mm. That that was always my view on it. And and now I I think it's the biggest change now. Like he he's in shape. His body is not going to fail him. He can mm. move, he can move for as long as he, you know, as long as the match goes and he can go into a third or fourth round without disintegrating because he's actually put in the work.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and lastly, just uh, in terms of, uh, was there anyone from the field that you were quite impressed with in terms of their run at the US Open that maybe you didn't expect or just thought, you know what, they played some uh, some great tennis and deserve a shout out, maybe like a TFO or whoever else. Uh, yeah. You know, Hatch and all, for example.
1: Oh, well, definitely... So, so Hatchinov, I'm not sure that this is going to like build up, you know, like lead into something, you know, like we've seen him. I mean, he was in the Olympic, the Olympic finals last year, the gold medal match, I should say Uh, we've, you know, we've seen Hatchinov can get hot and he becomes a really dangerous player, but I don't know that he changed anything um, that that is sustainable, but Tiafo. It's been building to that. I I do think that this is going to uh, be the start of Tiafo becoming a, a, a consistent top 20 performer. Um, with his improved forehand, his adjusted serve strategy and outlook where he's going for more on the first serve, uh, his improved fitness and his improved focus. All of those things, I think, are going to uh, really culminate in him building on this performance and then uh i'd say jack draper you know draper was he beat felix in straight sets he looked really good uh beating russo before then yeah i I really respect those wins and then he was up against tachinov draper i think is starting to show that that he's the real deal and the attention that that he's getting is warranted and deserved
0: yeah no i agree with you on tfo i think if he plays the level we play at the U.S. Open, I mean, easy top 10. Like, easily, easily. Like, he just he looks so good. Um, that's why in, I in said sports. top
1: 20, though. Yeah. Because even if there's – even if he's not quite what he was at the U.S. Yeah. Open, he still has some some margin. Um, yeah. And I still think that's top 20.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and with Draper, I think he said after, it's about the physicality of it needs to work on his – on His body and get in the gym, I guess, yep. a bit like Alcaraz did, and that's something for him to work on in the off season. And maybe he comes back and you know wins the US Open next year, <laughs> like Alcaraz yeah. after being in the gym. Um, well, the women's side, then E.S. Fiontek, I mean, you know, 21 years of age, three grand slams, our first slam on hard courts. And I mean, what was your assessment? I, my assessment first was just very briefly that she probably didn't play her best tennis, but she's the best player on tour, and uh, by <laughs> quite a margin, and that's. Been, and, you know, the, the points show it, you know, in terms of uh, her world number one ranking. And at the moment, she doesn't, despite the balls, I know you mentioned it actually, and I've quoted your, uh, I was, I'm listening, girl, I'm listening to the balls. You now she didn't like the balls, obviously. And uh, she just said, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm going to find a way to adapt and I'm going to make it work for me. And she did. And, Now, apart from maybe the Sabalenka match where she was forty down in the the last set and maybe Sabalenka bottled it a little bit, Sviontek generally just just business-like. Got through the matches, won. Thank you very much. Uh, Third Grand Slam, first on hard courts. And now you guys are in trouble because I'm really confident now, not just on clay in a a Grand Slam, sorry even, but on the hard courts. So good luck trying to beat me. And that's kind of what I got after. She said, know the sky's the limit. I'm not limiting myself anymore. She's clearly super confident. Probably, I guess, the fact that she didn't like the balls, uh, she, her fir- her best result was, I think, the third round at the US Open before this year, and then has gone on to win it. I mean, it's a massive confidence boost and then just completely taking her beyond the world number one ranking as well. So, I mean, give what was your assessment?
1: She's so awesome mentally. Because I agree, like, there were a lot of points in time where she could have uh, panicked, gone very dark, and, and went away. But she just, you know, she kept riding the ship. She kept solving problems. Uh, she She continued to stay calm in adversity. And there's nothing more dangerous... Than a player showing that they can win in less than ideal conditions with less than with a less than ideal level and and still come out and win a major. Now, I do think that the the level against Shabur in the final was uh, her best match of the tournament, which is also a championship quality. I mean, you look at her performance in finals, ten and zero since twenty twenty in in finals. Uh, I had forgotten that Paulina Herzog beat her in 2019 at uh, some event. Um, I mean, she's just... She has such an edge over the field because you do look at some players who are incredibly dangerous, who bring an elite level to the court, but none of them outside of Coco Golf, you really would say, will bring the best out of themselves... When the chips are down and the lights are the brightest um and i'm you know i'm talking and i'll throw in the word cons- on a consistent basis consistency i'll throw in there right if you look at uh paul abdosa and maria sakari and arena sabalenka and garbinia Muguruza, you know and i i could be missing some right and even Anjabur who i think is getting there quickly and i don't think her mental Side as a weakness, really, but uh, all of those players have question marks in terms of how am I going to handle the biggest match of my life right now? Um, and and with Iga, you don't. Um, and and I thought she relied a little bit more on the movement and the defense in this event, um, whereas when things are going right for her, it's really you know controlling dictating tennis um so you know a- amazing run i i thought Jabir was going to offer a huge challenge in the final and ultimately she you know certainly made a good push in the second set uh but for ega to to win as decisively as she did um what a run by her
0: yeah agreed it's a very decisive final considering. And yeah, agreed, I thought Jabo was going to cause more problems, but her final record is just incredible and clearly rises to the occasion, as you said, and there's not many other players out there that do it. Um, but she's one that just soaks up the pressure and I love it. Uh, and I'm really excited to see if she's able to make strides on the grass as well. I mean, it's just going to be, it's going to be almost impossible to be here. Yeah. Um, because at the moment, you're just thinking Australian Open and... French Open in the US, so she's going to be the favourite. Um, at Wimbledon, she hasn't quite made it click yet, but she's getting there, she's making these great improvements, they're the forehand, you know, it's just improved in so many different ways, has learned to flatten it out, whereas before of course is was a high topspin and more coverage, and now she's like, the technique is solid in terms of the way that, the repeatability anyway, um, it's a bit extreme in terms of the grip, but Repeatability is there. there. Um, she's flattening out more. She's confident to be on the front foot. She can defend if she needs to. The, the movement, as you said, is is phenomenal. The backhand solid. Serve is bulked up. Uh, more. She's looked more comfortable at least coming forward, uh, which is great to see as well. So trying to add that to her game. So so many different facets, which you know cause issues for everyone. And uh, she just seems to be able to navigate it all. So incredible win for her. And she just you know I mean continues to. To impress, and I'm just wondering how many times are going to end up on because she's only 21. Is what people forget? So people do forget. I mean, it, it's incredible. I, mean, I don't know what whether you got thoughts. And so you're saying obviously Alcaraz is a generational gate, but is she going to be a generational great? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I think she is generational. I think she she's an evolution of the women's game in terms of what she does on the forehand side. Uh, everyone else is going to need to catch up because that is. I, I think where the game I could be wrong, but I, I think the whole, you know, the era of the players taking the ball early and hitting, hitting flat and doing, you know, a lot of damage with the backhand at a certain point. I wonder if, uh, if that starts to be the way of the past, you know, the, the Sharapova style, I'll call it. Um, and, and Svantec I think is kind of the evolution and people are going to need to catch up to that. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned the grass because I thought about this for the first time. The US Open is is a, a grass court bounce. It's fast and low and slick. But the movement, the way she moves on the hard court, basically sliding every time she's stretched out to the outer thirds. That's what's completely different. Like the way she's kind of planting her outer edge, her out her, you know, outside foot every time defensively, like. She does need to master a different kind of movement on the grass, but the bounce that's a Wimbledon bounce, so we know she can handle that part of it.
0: Yeah, agreed. She needs to watch videos of Djokovic and Sinner moving on the grass because they slide, but obviously it's slightly different to what you're describing yeah. on the hard courts. But they made it work, they slide on all surfaces. So, um, they're the only two players really on the men's tour that I know that do it, um, and do it like efficiently. Um, Jabir, I mean similar to Rudy, we were just talking about Rude and I was saying, you know, two Grand Slam finals, two losses. I mean, heartbreaking. It's, I think she'll probably be more heartbroken about the Rubikina one because she went into it the favourite three yeah. sets and, you know, obviously she was expected to win it. Um, but the one against Sviontech, she's like, yeah, I've, I've made another final. I've put that behind me. I'm here. She's playing well in some people's eyes playing better than Sviontech. She, like, she blitzed Caroline Garcia who's been in incredible form uh, mm-hmm. in the last few months. And... Just was, I mean, I think the nerves were there a little bit. Obviously, got broken early in the in the first set, and she took a big lead. And then, as you said, she made a push in the second set, but just wasn't quite able to do it. I saw her her box go absolutely mental. Her coach at her, and she did say after the Garcia win that she listened to her coach fully for the first time. And obviously, the coach is really happy. She was happy because she won comfortably. I, I think she maybe got went a little bit off script against uh, Shviontek, and the coach wasn't happy. Uh, but that's like, that's by the by. I mean, she had a great tournament, but she seems to be an issue for everyone right now, including her. Uh, but what was your kind of insight on how she's done this, uh, us open, because I was quite impressed with how she actually managed to do on the hard courts. because I don't necessarily feel like the us open is her best slam. I, I genuinely feel like she's got a better chance at the French or Wimbledon, uh, but she's showing some great form
1: on the hards as well. Yeah. She a hundred percent prefers the natural surfaces. Um, and and the stats back that up and she says that. So yeah, it's another it's a very kind of rude like example um of uh although, you know, rude isn't the grass court merchant that Jabur is, but um you know, it, you you get some bonus points which people people got mad at me. Sometimes they get mad if you uh they think you're favoring surfaces, but no, you're not. It's just players get bonus points for doing well on their least preferred, uh, surfaces. It's just kind of how it is. So, so yeah, Jabra has that, but also it was a much more impressive run than the one she had at Wimbledon. In fact, it was, uh, I think a really, really difficult draw. Shelby Rogers in the third round, you know, Rogers at the U S open is tough. Ash Barty learned that last year. Uh, Veronica Kudermatova continues to be probably the most underrated player on the tour this season you know, playing a top 15 level from start to finish. And she beats her in straight sets. Uh, Timjanovic, I was so impressed with after beating Serena. She takes out Samsonova, who was on an incredible win streak and uh, did it decisively. And then um, Jabur in the Timjanovic match kind of just out hit her from the back of the court without really using much variety, which I thought was impressive. Garcia, you mentioned, certainly deserved to be a semi finalist. It was much more impressive than the Wimbledon run. Where uh, do you do you remember exactly like who's the highest ranked player she faced?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Was it
1: was it like Mertens?
0: Yeah, I think it was Mertens because I think so. She she faced Tatiana Maria in the semifinals. She obviously was unseeded, and Rubikina I think was like she was unseeded as well. I think at the time. Yeah. So yeah, I think it was Mertens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who was I think might have been thirteen in the world. I want to say potentially fifteen, something along that. Um, yeah, so, something in the teens. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I agree. This run was, I mean, pretty pretty outstanding. And that, that probably made it even worse because the final. is like, great. The same thing's happening again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like it's at least favorite surface. So it's a fantastic run, and I just. A little bit of bias coming into this, but I'm a massive kind of fan of her style. So I'm I'm just hoping that she does get a slam and that will probably help. But she's 28 eight years of age. So, you know, she's not got a huge amount of time left, potentially, uh, depending on, I guess, when she wants to retire, I guess. Nowadays, people can retire at 40, as we've seen. But um... yeah, she
1: doesn't rely. She doesn't rely too much, though, on agility and explosiveness. Yeah. Right. Which now she certainly has gotten way better um, because of her fitness. But I think that's more in the respect of like, she, it's just good enough now where it used to hold her back. Um, So I I think she'll age well. I think it's going to be, you know, all about getting over the hurdle mentally because there will be some scar tissue from this because it feels like she really does you know she has invested herself a lot in you know in in winning these finals and uh i I do think it will have kind of a lingering effect Uh, my biggest critique for her though by the way on on the negative side of things Mm. i do think she needs to stay more positive i know she's the merchant of happiness and off the court she's an absolute (laughs) angel uh but i think on the court she does need to uh Show her opponent less frustration, especially mm. when she has the lead, and uh, just calm down. I think a little bit would help her.
0: Yeah, agreed. I agree. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, because, yeah, it's probably, you probably get a little bit of a mental edge, don't you, from seeing your opponent. I mean, both of us, you know, obviously we're not pro players, but uh, when your opponent is getting frustrated, like, out oh, there you go. There you yeah. go. You know, a little bit of uh, a chink in the armor so yeah agreed for sure um and then on i guess <laughs> the rest of the field i mean, I mean start with the former champions quickly so a uh, radical well, or former finalist sorry Radicani and fernandez i mean Radicani went out the first round to Cornet, not a massive surprise they're given a the form and uh Cornet's been had a really really good year and then fernandez obviously falling to samson over if i'm not mistaken um as well who as he said was in a great great streak but unsurprising i guess from your side as well uh, that obviously they didn't manage to replicate anywhere near what they did last year
1: yeah bad draws uh mm. corne you know Cornet is also kind of tough because <laughs> yeah. i mean corne is just yeah. tough in general i mean she she's had a big win at every single major this year yeah uh she beat halip in australia she beat Sviantek at wimbledon and was it um Ostopanko? Uh, yeah Oh, it was right i think it was yeah any in the french right yeah yeah so okay a big a big win at, at every single major and uh just really good this year plays a ton for some reason like every week and sometimes i don't think she fully shows up but at the majors of course she's going to and uh she Felt really good. She was in a great headspace about breaking this incredible record as well. Most consecutive majors played with uh, sixty-three, um, and plays a similar style to to Raducanu. Gr- grinded her down. You know, Raducanu couldn't hit through the defense at all. You know, didn't really have enough power, especially in the cool conditions at night. So, no, that wasn't a surprising result. And then, you know, Fernandez had the compromised lead-up with the foot injury. Like I, I, I think she may have been in better position to go on a run, but not being injured and not you know having no momentum coming into the event. And uh, Samsonova, that was a, a you know granted uh, I think a second round match, right? Yeah. But still, I mean that Samsonova is going to make a major quarterfinal in 2023, guaranteed. You can lock it in.
0: Oh, you had it here first. We're not liable for any of your bets.
1: Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's so funny. Everyone's like, everyone's like, you know, uh, I'm I'll, I'll doing play by play and people are like, oh, uh, I bet, you know, like $10,000 on this uh, on this person. It's like the underdog as well. And I'm just like, I'm, not really, I'm like, okay, fair enough. And uh, they're like, yeah, I, I barely, barely watch tennis. But I just thought, you know, why not? How do, what do you think of the chances? I'm like, I'm not the right first task. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to be your uh, your uh, your your gambling uh, <laughs> your, your gambling advisor, but it's hilarious. People uh, do some crazy things, but yeah. In terms of the you other, know, I mean, Serena, Swansong, song. We can, we had to touch one that, of course, as well. Well, apparently, I think because uh, she did say she likes Australia, but I think so so. That she likes Australia in terms of going to the final. But she played an incredible match, obviously, against Mianimich, um, saving match points as well, and of course, beat Contevit which is an incredible win. I thought I watched that in the playoff play as well. She's just looked really good. Um, I think she could have, I don't think she would have made like the final one or anything, but I reckon she could have maybe made the last 16 quarter final. If she'd played maybe a couple of times before, but what was your view on, uh, I guess the build up for her as well and how she performed and her career as well, I guess touching upon that.
1: Perfect week. You know, exactly what I kind of had hoped for coming into the week for Serena, for the fans, for the event. Um, you know, she, she picks up the win against Donka Kovenich, got a good draw, probably needed it. You know, she had no confidence coming in and, and needed some help and didn't play the best match, but Kovinich, uh, gave, gave her some help certainly. And then you had the tribute afterwards where you could kind of get that out of the way. She felt the love after, after the win, you know, we had the, the theatrics and the, the ceremony and then, you know, against Contivate she could focus on the tennis, weight lifted off the shoulders, underdog, not a lot of pressure, hostile crowd, got to contivate good tennis by serena, boom picks up the upset victory. Great to see that in in her farewell tournament. Uh and then Tamjanovic handles the moment incredibly well, better than Contivate and uh and wins a tight one. Um so yeah, I mean I thought it was all you could ask for. Tamjanovic, incredibly classy as well after the match. Um I do think Serena's done. I don't think she'll ever get to the point where she is ready to fully commit to tennis, given her family and business obligation or not obligations, but, you know, uh, ventures off court. Um, and she's not going to be half in halfway in tennis. Like she, she knows she can't win like that. So I don't think she'll ever play again. I really don't, even though she's leaving the door open um unbelievable career um obviously and uh, you know on the court all-time great um if not the greatest of all time yeah you know, i do think there's a conversation there like it's not really super obvious even though i think in the fanfare of the us open it was kind of like yeah let's just let's just call her the goat and we can leave it uh but yeah it's not it's not that obvious it's There's actually questions there about, you know, Graf and, and especially Graf, um, but potentially some others, but her cultural impact, you know, unmatched uh, the way she grew the game, the way she, you know, gave to the game, the way the U S open when she played the way I could see the grounds change and start to reflect New York more than anyone else. uh, The way she revolutionized, um so many aspects of of women's tennis along with venus really legend B- and a beautiful send-off
0: yeah agree definitely legendary status and uh yeah as you said um it's difficult the the go debate is always difficult on the men's or women's side it's everyone's got different uh ideas on it but i can see why they went with it obviously and she's like a more current but yeah fantastic fantastic career and you know if that's the last we see of her then you know incredible incredible way to go out i think fighting way to go out, and uh, glad that we get, got to see her rather than a lot of people thought she might just say oh, i'm retired um before and we wouldn't really kind of see that kind of farewell tournament so great to see her um playing as well uh, i guess to finish, finish up on as well then i mean i keep one thinking to myself i was th- thinking about it just now actually that it's a real shame that Ash Barty retired because considering how well Yashvantech's yeah, playing, it'd be great if Barty just came out of retirement we and open and said, no, I'm going to play. And it would just... Uh, there's just something on the women's side that uh, it was great to see, I think, a final where it wasn't super surprising. Whereas on the men's side, I felt like it was more surprising. See Rude in the final, for example. I mean, a lot of people didn't think Alcraz would make the final either, to be fair. Um, that was a surprising final, more so than, of course, yashvantech Jabur. But I was just thinking, you know, she needs something to complement it. Whether it's going to be Jabur or someone else, or maybe it's a whole host of players. Um, Sabalenka, you know, if she'd beaten Sviontek. I'm thinking that takes her, that gives her a mental edge to then potentially kick on. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. It's something it's... about the Barty thing that I think. Come on,
1: come back, just come back. Yeah, we'll we we, we, so, we knew that would happen though. We, we knew. We knew as soon yeah. as Ash left and the way Iga was playing, we knew that we were going to that we were in for that kind of what if and that, you know, rivalry that never happened. Like right yeah. right away we knew that. Um hopefully Coco can take some steps technically and yeah. and be the one. And I I think she can. She can be the one to yeah, to challenge sense. Iga long term. You know, short term there there are pe- plenty of players who can certainly do it um on a match to match basis, but over the you know large sample size, grand scheme of things, yeah. right now, uh, probably the only player I'm seeing is Coco Goff. You also have a lot of excitement behind uh, Linda and Brenda Fruvertova. Yeah, yes, very exciting
0: young players. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do um, as well. They're coming through. I and mean, there's quite a few good young players. Obviously, you know, yes, we can talk about Radikarn and Fernandez, but there's Clara Torsen from Denmark. There's a lot of like people talking about her. Uh, I Martha really like Jean Jung- from Ukraine.
1: Yeah, my f- my favorite my favorite besides Coco right now is uh is Wen. Okay, interesting. I-, I believe she's the best uh teenager outside of Coco.
0: Ooh, I, I like uh Kim Win Zheng. She's great. Um they're both really good players actually. Yeah. A couple of uh same fantastic player. players as well. Oh, have right. I just pronounced oh, I just mispronounced? Yeah, them. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, same oh. player. So Okay yeah it's the the q is the sh sound
0: oh okay and and, okay. and the
1: names and then the names are are reversed so it's zhang shinwen
0: oh okay fine got you okay i'll but, I'll say that in future it's like someone said to me uh when i was doing uh the final for the australian open that medvedev is actually supposed to be pronounced medvedev so i was like, okay so now i've started to try and make sure i'm saying that so someone from russia told me and i was like okay I'll, I'll be saying his name like that going forward, but no one else says it, but apparently in in Russia they call him that and that's what they, that's how it's supposed to pronounce, but yeah. But okay, yeah. so, okay. shang went, okay, fine. I've got it. I've got it. It's in my <laughs> head. So yeah, she's really excited. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I was massively excited by her uh, at the French Open when she was winning against Fiontech and then obviously um, yeah, like, ended up losing in the end, but she's really exciting as well. Um, she's. I think she's going to go big and major quarter final next year you heard it here first i'm gonna i'm gonna match gil for samson over
1: <laughs> but yeah <laughs>
0: for sure for sure cool we'll leave it there gil is there anything you want to touch on before we wrap up no we uh we hit it all oh, thank you so much for being on as always appreciate it and of course if you haven't done so already do check out uh gil gross uh, on youtube and of course uh monday match analysis on podcast platforms i'm not mistaken and of course on Twitter as well. And if you haven't already, do like this video, subscribe if you're new, and leave a rating or review on this podcast platform as well if you're listening to this uh, audio. Thank you so much, guys. Stay safe and well. We'll see you on the next video.